Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings, from premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Everyone knows therapy is great for solving problems, but getting therapy has its own problems too, like finding the right therapist, fitting into their schedule, and of course, the cost. Well, BetterHelp can solve those problems. It's totally online and built around your schedule. It's surprisingly affordable too. Connect with a credentialed therapist by phone, video, or online chat, all from the comfort of your home. Visit BetterHelp.com to learn more and save 10% on your first month. That's BetterHelp, H-E-L-P. This Mother's Day, celebrate the extraordinary women in your life with a heartfelt gift from Blue Nile. Whether it's for your mom, a mother figure, or yourself as a mom, find that perfect piece to express your love and appreciation. Explore Blue Nile's exquisite pearls and mesmerizing gemstones that she's sure to love. Enjoy fast shipping options like guaranteed free shipping and returns. Make this Mother's Day unforgettable with a piece from Blue Nile. Right now, get up to 50% off at BlueNile.com. That's BlueNile.com. Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile. With the price of just about everything going up during inflation, we thought we'd bring our prices down. So to help us, we brought in a reverse auctioneer, which is apparently a thing. Mint Mobile Unlimited Premium Wireless. Ready to get 30, 30, ready to get 30, ready to get 20, 20, 20, ready to get 20, 20, ready to get 15, 15, 15, 15, just 15 bucks a month. So give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. It goes, uh, I need to be at the piano for this. Uh, yeah, go goes... on, do it. This is fun, let's do this all day. That's it. See, already I'm swallowing a tear. That one. Coming up on this episode of White Wine Question Time. I definitely felt it. You know, you're getting heartfelt messages of saying, you know, this is saving me every day. And I'm thinking, well, I've also got my own family and I've got my parents and, you know, and I've got my own sanity to take care of uh, under those extraordinary conditions. Were you a raver? I mean, I no, because I was, I was like 13 and I was at home. So oh, yeah. I was just raving quietly in the kitchen and thinking how very exciting and seeing pictures of, and, you know, and there was that moral panic around raving. And I thought it sounded all terribly exciting. I feel like I contributed to that during a long stint of hosting singing competitions in the early noughties. I apologise. I, I mean, I didn't like to. I, I, do you know, I deliberately skirted round the title of a well-known show because I knew you were involved. It's your fault. <laughs> Hello and welcome to White Wine Question Time, the podcast that asks its guests three thought-provoking questions over three glasses of wine. And my guest this week is a man who first came bounding onto our screens in 2006 with an infectious enthusiasm and determination to bring a love of choral singing to us all. He was working for the London Symphony Orchestra, running a youth choir, when the BBC discovered him via a Google search. They were looking for a choir master for a new show they were doing called The Choir and entrusted the job to him. It was an instant success and won a BAFTA, leading him to bring together choirs in a variety of settings and communities, be they a bunch of uninterested schoolboys, prisoners, or most famously, the military wives who he shared a Christmas number one with in 2011. Born in London and raised in Bournemouth, his mother was a civil servant, his father a bank manager, but they both loved Amdram. In fact, they met performing at a local Amdram society. A musical household, he fell in love with choirs at the age of 10 and studied drama at the University of East Anglia before doing a post-grad vocal studies course at the Royal Academy of Music. His plans for a career in music, though, stalled in his early 20s and he found himself landing a role as a youth worker trying to introduce disadvantaged kids to classical music. They loved it and to his great surprise, so did he. And it's a variation on that theme, inspiring others to sing and giving them the tools and the encouragement to do so that has formed the backbone of his career ever since. He now lives in North London with his wife Becky, an English teacher, and their three children. And as well as his work as a choir master, he's also appeared on The Masked Dancer and MasterChef. 
Earlier this year, having proved his mettle when he orchestrated the choir for the Queen's Jubilee, he was called up again by the palace to participate in creating a choir for King Charles's coronation, which was documented in the BBC series Sing for the King. Now he's about to head back out on the road with his new show, Sing Along a Gareth 2, which is touring the UK. Can't wait. Let's dial him in, shall we? It's Gareth Malone. How are you? I'm very well. Well, I, I enjoyed that very much. It was highly accurate. Very, was it? Not a single mistake. Yeah, no, nothing. All accurate. That was all very good. It's not always the case, you know. Well, I know. Wikipedia is, is a cruel mistress, I've discovered. <laughs> yes, fickle. Fickle she is. But Wikipedia, you can't, you struggle to get stuff taken down, I've discovered. But it's so easy to put stuff up. Somebody once put that I had um, a child that I'd conceived around the back of the local quick save in Cheltenham, Gloucestershire. Wasn't true, but it stayed there for a while. <laughs> let me tell oh, you. Oh, that's brilliant. Kind of liked that's it. Great. I, I mean, <laughs> I think you really know you've gone down the rabbit hole when you start editing your own Wikipedia. I think that's really, that's the beginning of the end, isn't it? So, well, it only came to my there. attention when be. somebody interviewed me and asked how I was coping with parenting, and I'm like, I don't have any. <laughs> <laughs> That's what I mean about the cruel mistress. But you are back out on the road. I know today is a fraught day. I'm speaking to you the day before opening night. And as much as this is a, a, a Gareth sing-along a two, and you've yes. done this once before, I would imagine yes. that there is, apart from the title, very little that is the same. Um, absolutely. The, uh, the, the, same, the main structure of the show is the same. I walk out onto stage and I start singing a song and everybody sings along and it's like that the whole night. We have a, a screen behind with the lyrics emblazoned in large friendly letters and I, uh, I just have a great time on stage. But it is, as you say, completely new songs. So I've spent the last sort of two, three months arranging and, and, and just trying to work out what it is that people want to sing at one of my shows. Because it might be a song that I like, but maybe the audience doesn't like it, or or maybe it's a song that the audience like, but I don't I don't want to sing it. So it's got to be it's got to be a, a thought carefully about. I don't know what it is about you, Gareth, but you seem to coax a vocal out of the least likely. I'll give you an example. Right, my father, I love dearly, and I've stood next to him in churches, at funerals, at weddings, uh, school plays, whatever. And he only ever mimes. I tell him oh. and my mum that you're coming on the podcast. They're like, oh, put us down for tickets. You've, me and your father would love to go. Oh. And I said, Daddy, are you yes. sure? He's like, oh, yeah, I like him. You make my, you make even mutes sing. <laughs> yes, I'm, I'm coaxing blood from the stone. I, yeah, <laughs> I, I, I think we all have a, a, someone in our family who, you know, sings once a year at... Uh, the carol service and it's it's absolutely awful and i think that's usually the main problem is that people just don't do enough of it um i sing all the time I sing every day and i don't mind singing as well you know if you ask me to say you know how does happy birthday go happy birthday to off i go i don't i there's no moment where i think oh perhaps i shouldn't sing and i definitely think that becomes you know it's quite easy to make that a culture in you know be it with my kids yeah. in the house or or when I'm working on a series, I, I know you know a lot of lot of crew members will start, and on day one they say, "Oh well, you won't get me singing." And by the end of this, the program, it's just become so normal. Everyone's just going, "Oh, what about that one that goes blah?" And and off they go, which I really like. The inner and Mariah I, I comes out, doesn't it? The inner Mariah, absolutely. The outer Mariah, yeah, becomes manifest. It's um really, I think, a lovely thing to do, and we shouldn't be ashamed of it. And it. You know, I, I really blame recording uh, for for our kind of nervousness around singing because I just think mm. at one time anyone would have got up and done a song. And my dad's uh, a Glaswegian and it's very much in his culture to do a turn. So people would just get up and do a song. And, you know, they're not all blessed with brilliant voices and there are a couple of whiskeys down maybe. And But they, they do it anyway. And I think we've got into this place where it's only for the, you know, the, the very, very talented to sing and I think that's a shame yeah I feel like I contributed to that during a long stint of hosting singing competitions in the early noughties I apologise I, I mean I didn't like to I, I do you know I deliberately skirted around the title of a well known show because I knew you were involved it's your fault <laughs> and kids would sing in you know you'd ask them to sing and they'd immediately saw themselves in an X Factor audition which was yeah. which was strange you know working in 
working in singing, you know, you go, you get kids turning up to choir, sort of ready to sing a song that's completely inappropriate for them, and um, you know, it's it's just what it is, what it is, and, and you know, it carries on now with the voice, and I think a lot of young young kids, that's their first point of um uh, of, of thinking when they think about singing and they, they they don't think oh i could go in a in a choir honestly my own son is nervous about singing on his own you know which you'd, you'd think i'd i'd be able to sort that out wouldn't you <laughs> but it is a, it's a yeah, big deal I mean, for young people it's a big deal it is you have cracked some hard nuts though um and, you know, you're not a man that likes to make life easy for himself. So here we are, the day before your show opens, you're putting new numbers in, which requires huge amounts of thought, planning, organising. And then on top of that, you've decided to um, put AI into the heart of your show to make your life yes. very difficult live every night. And I'm I'm so intrigued to understand why you want to hurt yourself like this, but also how you came to the idea. Well, we it was a discussion uh, with one of my singers, Laurel, and and we were we were laughing about uh, AI, and and I don't know, it just came, it just came up on, uh, and I thought actually that could be really fun because one of the sections, one of my favourite bits of the show is we make up a song with the audience. So wherever we are, and we've had some really funny ones. You know, they're really they're always very silly. You know, we we've, we were in London and we sang about the um, the angels over. Uh, you know, they have the lights on Oxford Street. And we made a kind of Christmas carol about Street. that one year. And we did a, a song about Isambard Kingdom Brunel. You know, just random stuff, roundabouts. So it's always about local um, kind of sites or... It could be like, it's usually, you know, Milton Keynes is famous for its roundabouts. And uh, I, I forget where it was. I think it might have been Wolverhampton <laughs> where we, where it was about the the fact that it was the first ever traffic light, which sounds like unpromising. But we made it into this kind of hymn this anthem this glorious gospel kind of you know we're all doing sidesteps and clicks to the to the (laughs) the joy that is a traffic light um and everyone just sort of gets massively behind it and then we have we have everyone doing action so you've just got people who you know i don't know they're bank managers or insurance brokers by day and they're all they're all kind of doing actions like it's uh primary school but it's, it's a lot of fun but the hardest bit of that we go in and we never have a plan we never ever have a plan. We just walk in. We go right. What we what we making a song about tonight? And we all get a kind of sense of excitement because there's there's nothing. And then suddenly, seven or eight minutes later, we've got a little song. You know, not not a not a hit record, but we've got a song. Uh, and I thought actually it might be quicker and more fun to do it with AI. And I, as I started doing it, um, I I've tried a few different ones. I tried um, Google Bard, but the best one is Chat GPT. Uh, and you can yeah. say you know make me a song, and you can then say. You know, make it about um, Kate Thornton's fringe, which I, I know you've recently trimmed. Thanks. You were telling I'd me love before, that. so we could we could do that, and then we could say, but make it in the style of Bob Marley, and it suddenly gets a kind of little. It gives you these lyrics that have I don't know, you know, sunshine and and little little references. It's incredible. So it's quite it's just a bit of fun. But you know, my my parent, my mum especially, gen, genuinely frightened. And I know you know Elon Musk is coming. Uh, I think it's today. And with the head of ChatGPT oh, yes. to, to discuss the future, yeah, it's a really, it's a huge, it's a huge thing, and I think it's going to be part of our lives. So I just thought it was nice to engage it with is. it. And we just don't realise how much it's underpinning so much. And I, you know, I think pretty soon we'll have these, um, you know, our personal HomePod things that are in the kitchen, and they'll be listening, and they will be, they'll, we'll be able to chat to them, which is. Kind of an amazing thought. It's like being in Star Trek. Anyway, all of that is by the by, because musicians are always... We always love a bit of technology. You can say I'm in the studio. I love anything with buttons and and beeps I'm, I'm really into. And I think, you know, there are responsible ways to use any tool. Um, so hopefully people will just find it amusing. And some of the, some of the suggestions will be uh, hilarious, I think. I think, though, we are of a generation that grew up, you know, with the digital revolution you know i remember being at school being kind of having my mind blown by the fact that you could write boobs upside down on a calculator and that seemed revolutionary <laughs> that was in my living memory Listen, and now I, look I where mean, we are I, I i'm still getting over that still getting over it <laughs> <laughs> but in lockdown you really went you went for it didn't you i, I think it was beautifully described in one newspaper as you did for the larynx what Joe Wicks did for the lunge in lockdown, and you assembled 11,000 people to perform as the Great British Home Chorus, featuring the London Symphony Orchestra. I mean, 
the tech meltdowns you must have had trying to make that happen. I hope that your swear box runneth over. Oh, it, it really did. It was it was absolutely hilarious. I think Joe was slightly ahead of me because he was already doing quite a lot of online workouts. So he had all the kit. I had the idea about two weeks before lockdown because I'd been in Germany. So I got the kit kind of shipped in, but I had to discover how to use it. And I was using my own computer and the computer it was my old computer and it wasn't, you know, wasn't pacey enough and it kept sort of st- stuttering. And, <laughs> and then, oh, and then there was one night I just thought, oh, I just move it ever so slightly. And I shifted it slightly to the left and the power came out and my live stream to, you know, oh, I can't remember that. 40,000 people or something just went dead immediately. Um, so, yeah, it was it, that side of it was a nightmare. It was great to be able to um, feel like I was making a difference and the messages were incredible. But you, I really missed that, you know, because music is so much for me about people in a space and the communication between them community. that's kind of the best thing it's about no one goes home and goes oh do you know what that you know that that concert i went to they played they played technically brilliantly it was marvelous every note was exactly <laughs> in place it's not the thing you remember you remember oh it was so moving when he talked about this and then they did the song that made me cry that's what that's what music is about it's about people and heart and emotion um and it went you know tech can just it can be enabling, but it can also just massively get in the way, which is why I like this, you know, this live show, because I'm just there with my with my crowd. And it's very instant. And even if, the you know, everything goes wrong, I've got an acoustic guitar, I can sit on the front of the stage and I can get everyone singing. And that that feels sort of very kind of old fashioned um, and like like an old pub knees up. But yeah, the, oh, the busker with bells on really finished me. Yeah, busker with bells on. <laughs> but I, you know, I, I feel for Joe Wicks because I think the responsibility that he suddenly felt, because I think where he was ahead in the tech, I was ahead in terms of being, I'd been in the public eye for quite a long time and I'd, you know, I'd just sort of been around the block a bit. I'm a little bit older than him. And I, I, I remember watching him thinking, this is too much for one person to shoulder you know that sort of responsibility and I, I definitely felt it you know you're getting heartfelt messages of saying you know this is saving me every day and I'm thinking well I've also got my own family and I've got my parents and you know and, and I've got my own sanity to take care of uh, under those extraordinary conditions and um, yeah and I, I sort of I, I kind of watched him manically holding us all together and so what it didn't surprise me when I watched I don't know if you watched his documentary after that he made after about mm. the whole process and I, I think he really struggled with it it was a very very big thing he took on well I think as the whole world went into lockdown he became our you know he became the UK's PE teacher and you became yeah. head of music That's <laughs> it's right. a lot to carry yeah. on your shoulders yeah. It was, it was. I, I sort of drew, I drew a line under it eventually because I thought actually people want to, you know, I know that you know, it's a great tool and I've done, even for this tour, I've been rehearsing because there's a choir in each venue. I've been done some online rehearsals. It's a great tool for doing doing that kind of thing. But it just, it's it's a facsimile of the, the real thing. You know, being in a room, I, there's nothing to beat it. And, you know, I had rehearsals yesterday and it's that, it's the little looks that pass between you when you go, oh, it's this bit, you know, oh, this, I love this chorus. This is the one with a drop. This is the one with a funky rhythm. This is, you know, or, or somebody sings really sweetly. That, those are the things that make me, well, those are the things that I really missed. I realised how much I couldn't just be a solitary musician. I'm not someone, uh, you know, one of these sort of uh, concert pianists, or certainly not that, who sits on their own and just plays incredible pieces of music by themselves I need other musicians or it's it's not music for me it all takes me very nicely to my first question for you um, are you ready to dive in right far away whilst you're kind of percolating all of the numbers that you're going to take out on the road. Obviously, the set list that you're putting together is there to derive as much joy from the room as possible. But if you were allowed to indulge yourself and stitch together a set list or a soundtrack that scored you and your life, the songs that really give you joy, Mm. what would they be? And, And what are the moments of happiness that sit behind them? 
That's a good question. I, I, I think it would make no sense to the casual listener because it's just little right. bits of music that mean something to me for obscure reasons. You know, there's... um. I immediately start to think about like Bach, which was how I got into choirs, but um, and certain passages within certain pieces that I performed and memories like little kind of, I don't know, memories of singing something in a shaft of light coming through the cathedral window, those sorts of things that, that, that are very personal. Cinematic moments. Yeah, really. So, yeah, music can be so evocative and so emotional. That when I then go back and listen to that piece, I hear I, I'm transported back. It's like it's like smelling something. It's very kind of instant. Um, so you know, that, I guess there's a, there's a lot of those, and there's there's bits of classical music that my mum brought me up on, like Vivaldi and um, and lots of opera that she used to play. But I think that the music that really has been there through my whole life is definitely the Beatles, because I think when I was when I was born, it was seventy five, and I remember John the news that John Lennon had been shot being on the radio when. I was, fi- uh, I was just coming up to five, I think, in 1980, or maybe just after my fifth birthday. And I remember how upset my parents were. Um, and so I think that re kind of, I mean, he'd always played the Beatles, but I think that re energized his interest in them. And so he played it all through my childhood. Sergeant Pepper, we had Sergeant Pepper, which we wore out. And then we got CDs, we got them all on CD. And I suddenly got this new excitement hearing all that detail and listening on a we had a new stereo that was really kind of clear and had fantastic bass and not a stacker system anymore um (laughs) no it was uh, it was a little bit a little bit yeah because when i was a kid it was one of those um all in one it had a tape player and it was sort of flat you know um and it had a a record player and it would you know it had the auto thing you press start and it would all kind of come up and and miss the record and crackle and skid and um, and it had a radio as well. You could get long wave, and it said, you know, like Abu Dhabi, and <laughs> just places, you know. It seemed radio really stations. exotic, didn't it? It did, yeah. It was like radio stations that you'd listen to for 20 seconds and then hear some distant voice. And, um, uh, the, yeah, that sound of the crackly long wave radio mm. is so kind of evocative of something, yeah. So it's like exotic. Um, sound world but yeah well, when, I remember when which that sounds, went we which then... sounds odd to young people now like if you explain that to your kids they just think you're odd because there's there's no way that they can imagine a world where you couldn't speak to somebody anywhere at any time because mm. we are a hyper connected world but to listen strange, to something from another country you know like I remember not even being able to phone home much when I was abroad because it was so expensive do you know what I mean yeah. I'd yeah, literally, absolutely. when I first started working, I'd phone my mum and dad to go, I've landed. Yeah, I'm fine. I'm in New York. I'll call you when I get back. Bye. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. And I, I, that sense, I think not only that in communication terms, we've we've expanded, but culturally we've expanded. And I remember when I was a kid, there was like some... So, uh, I think some like in, in something like the sound of the Incas, and and it had the pan pipes, and and I remember it being really popular in the early eighties. And my parents got the record, and it was just like, wow, the sound of the music from Peru, and we have it here on a record. This is unbelievable. Well, now it's just like that's nothing. Um, but I I almost mm. feel that's a shame because yeah. I savored that. I I connected with that and the the exoticism and the excitement of that. And now it's sort of my kids would just listen to it and go, mm, I don't like panpipes. Um. <laughs> That'd be it. You know? Yeah. Uh, so it's hard to get yeah. kids, uh, yeah, to feel special about stuff. What else was m- the music? You know, can you name some of the other songs that stretched your imagination that that have stayed with you in terms of the way they made you feel? I sort of went through um, various uh, versions of myself, I suppose, that were very wrapped up in music when I was a teenager, as we all do. I experimented with, you know, uh, dance music, you know, things like um, KLF, EMF. I'm really ageing myself now. Uh, And and that kind of craze for acid house and all of those things. I I sort of flirted with that. Were you a raver? I mean, no, just because I was like... 13 and I was at home so oh, yeah. I was just raving quietly in the kitchen and thinking how very exciting and seeing pictures of and you know and there was that moral panic around raving and I thought it sounded all terribly exciting um, and then I got into um, guitars and like Pink Floyd and 
uh, Led Zeppelin. I still do find uh, Dark Side of the Moon by Pink Floyd very, um, like, that's an amazing piece of work. Really, really beautiful piece of work. Um, And very emotive and really really interesting. I listened to it about three weeks ago and I, I really, it took me back to exactly that moment in time when I first discovered it. Um, yeah, as a teenager. That's what that is, and uh, th- there are few records like that, and that is one of those. My was my yeah. girlfriend's m- mother had had a uh, the you know like double sleeve, and it had all the artwork. And she lent it to me. Said, "Oh, listen, I think you'll really like this." And I remember putting putting it on, and you know, there's that slide guitar into the first drop of the album. And there's all the talking beforehand. Oh, 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 and it kind of just kind of blossoms and. I, I, re- I remember I was in the dining room. I sort of put it in. I, I was I put. We had our uh, record player in the sitting room, and I ju- I'd just gone through to get something, and I just remember hearing this sound, kind of running in, and then just doing, starting it again. Um, yeah, it's great, and and that that music, I suppose, because it was, it was lyrically interesting. It was musically interesting. I suppose that's where I re- I saw my my interest in pop like like pure pop started to wane a bit you know the Kylie Minogue records didn't hold the same allure that they had when I was you know 13 14 yeah I think sometimes though that you you need a gateway record and and Floyd and Stevie Wonder um Mm. were definitely gateway artists for me and it was only when so I mean I grew up loving George Michael right massive George mm. Michael fan and then when he started to cover certain artists I'd go and listen to the originals and mm. sometimes you need somebody to take you by the hand into the music of, of the past so you can discover the glory of it but that sense of revelation with things like Dark Side of the Moon just how it sounded we'd all used to go and sit in this guy's mum and dad's basement right and turn all the lights off because it sounded really trippy and then we'd listen to it and go oh my god this is amazing right but you would um can you imagine a piece of music doing that to you now where you'd all take your friends downstairs and sit in the dark listening to it because it gave you a heightened experience i mean most people take drugs for that yeah i i, I was i was thinking about this yesterday that uh you know the way the idea of a an album the idea of a song the, the the idea of a release date being something kind of really sacred and and special and you know that that whole the pilgrimage of the record shop i'm really sounding old today god but it was like you'd go to our price and you would you know and you got you saved all the money and there's something in that that the you would you would just cherish the object and cherish the musical experience, um, and I don't. I don't think kids have the same thing. Uh, I don't think music means well, you can't the same now. thing. You can hear something and shazam it. You can download yeah. it immediately. We used to have to save our money, get the bus into town on a Saturday, then take the record home before you could play it. You would stare at the record before you played the record, and you would Absolutely. read the liner notes. And it, there was something. It, holy it was, was, it was a holy experience it was religious and I I, that's not to say that music doesn't mean anything to, to, to young people because it does but it I think it is just more um, it's just so more, much more available I, I don't know I, I think it'll be interesting to see what becomes of of pop the popular form I think is is shifting you know we know now that like, the effect of Spotify algorithms has reduced the length of songs, you know, people are, are making songs that are two minutes thirty seconds. It's it's almost gone back to what songs, pop songs, were like in the fifties, um, and that that's really, that's interesting to me that the actual sort of the the technology and the medium changes changes the experience. Yeah, but then once in a while you'll get somebody that will come along and remind you of the importance of that kind of the 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 group excitement of a release date, or. Yeah, Taylor Swift. Taylor Swift is my case in point. I just think she's the most remarkable artist. And she applies a lot of those old school practices to a very new modern world in which she reigns supreme. Um, and I love that. I love that people get excited about her re-recording her original work. I also love that she's bought it back and gone screw you to the guys that did her over. Um, you know, there's a lot to her. Yeah, yeah, That that that's... I think she's somebody who just um, has she's got the whole package, hasn't she? You know, she can sing, she can write, she can, and she's her own woman. So I, that, I mean, she's a great role model 
She's definitely someone who you know, we'll have on in the kitchen and and not worry about the impact it's going to have on, on, on our daughters or, or sons for that matter. Yeah, absolutely. What about the others? Well, as we move through into your early adult life, as you start to try to pique young minds with your love of classical music, what was the stuff that, you, that was actually piquing your own interests at that time, Gareth? I think that when I went to university uh, and I suddenly found myself sort of... Um, like hugely challenged you know I was being exposed I was studying drama and, and literature and I was being exposed to all sorts of different time periods you know we were doing, studying Greek drama and uh, European 19th century drama all sorts of things like that so I think I felt like it was really important to get my head out of the, the narrow band of music that I've been listening to. And I'd always loved classical music but I think I had quite a sort of classic FM you know I knew I knew some Vivaldi, I knew some this. I'd done my A-level music pieces and I just wanted to kind of just um, listen to anything and see if I could find value in it. And I went to, and it was record shops again, I just went and I, I bought Shostakovich CDs and Mahler CDs and I, these sort of big symphonies and I uh, I found them really hard to access and I just put them on. I would, I'd think, well, I, I've spent £8 on this, I'm going to give it another go. <laughs> and i just sort of keep them on until I found... I always found that there was a moment where I went, oh, I, I love that bit. I love that bar. And then you go, oh, actually, well, I'll put it on because I'll, 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 I've got the anticipation of that little, that unlocking moment. I mean, you, you said that gateway, you know, I think we all need hooks into whatever it might be. And I think in popular music, there are, there's like hooks. They're just trying to grab. It's like an advert. You know, they're trying to, it's like someone trying to sell you washing powder. They're just sort of pop music is very desperate for your attention whereas classical music it sits back a bit and goes well this is this yeah. is it you know it just serves it up on a little platter and says there there you go and you've got to find your way in so i think when i'm you know when i've spent years like introducing people to music in, in of all of all sorts and i'm always trying to find what it is that is like that anyone can hear you know, not the not the nothing sort of too high for looting, but something that like a story that connects you in. You go, well, you know, the reason that this piece is great is because when the composer wrote it, they were in the middle of a divorce or a, you know, mm. some great some great drama in their life. And I think that helps you to understand it in human terms because I think, especially with classical music, it can count, it can sound rather too perfect, like almost especially with choirs. Yeah, it sounds sort of celestial. Yeah. You can't imagine what. What possibly made Thomas Tallis want to write this piece? Yeah, I remember as a teenager, I don't know where I stumbled upon this, and it was on vinyl. There was a piece of classical music. I think it's called Moonlight Sonata. Would that, would that be right? Midnight Sonata, Moonlight Sonata. Be Moonlight Sonata from Beethoven, be? yeah. Uh, it, it, was Beethoven, it this yeah. one? Uh, I'll play it on the real piano. That's what I'll do. Yeah, this one. Go on, do it. Yeah. It goes. I can't remember what key it's in. Is it C sharp minor? Oh. That's it. That's beautiful, yeah. That's a musical <laughs> hug right there. It's well, You know what that reminds me of? When you talk about transportive moments, so that was when I think I was probably grappling with my hormones as a teenager, thinking the world didn't understand me and I had all these plans for myself. And yeah. I used to lie on my single bed in my very tiny bedroom <laughs> with that just playing over and over thinking... I've got to have a plan. I've got to have a plan. And that was, that's what soundtracks that for me. And every time, and now in my adult life, when I hit a wall, I go to that piece of music. It's like it sits in my musical medicine cabinet. Yeah. I, I, I have a lot of pieces like that. And, I, and I'm always interested to know what people's are. I had a friend at university who, uh, whose mother died and, she, while, while, while she was very young and she listened to this piece by Goretzky this, this actually is this very, like, so dark it's about the Holocaust and it's just the most kind of, like, I mean, I'm not selling it here but it's the most beautiful beautiful piece of music and she would do exactly she, she knew in herself when she needed a good weep and she'd kind of put that on and, yeah. and that would be the piece that would just kind of help her to release. And for me, um, Barbara's Adagio, um, which is the piece that's in, it's, I think it's Platoon. It's a very, very famous piece. Uh, yes. That's, 
that you, do you know the one I mean? It has it has it go it goes uh, I need to be at the piano for this. This is fun, let's do this all day. swallowing a tear that one I like it's so good and that that's my that's one of my pieces and I think I discovered in my 20s that I I liked music that took you to those places you know that really yeah. they you know I think when you're when you're a teenager music is yes it's about identity it probably is about emotion to a degree as well but you know, you're you're young and you're just sort of exploring the limits of your emotional landscape, aren't you? And I, I was sort of hungry to experience life and hungry to experience feeling. And I found that music mm. for me just like, ugh, just got me right in the heart. And yeah. I felt like I was just, I don't know, so I was, like I was on some kind of, some journey without leaving my room. Yeah, but it's funny, isn't it? Because classical music, what I love about it uh, is that there are no lyrics because I lean into words. I'm very literal. So classical music is something I've returned to recently um, in sort of midlife, right? Having these kind of, you know, mad perimenopausal moments where my son's come downstairs in the summer and had all the doors open. I was blaring classical music. And he said, Mum, are you all right? And I said, yeah, it just helps me think. Mm. When you take the words away... No one's telling me what to think. I think for myself. And he's like, oh, yeah. I thought, oh my God, that's probably one of the greatest lessons I could teach him about how to consume music. Go and find something that makes that affords you the opportunity to think. Yeah, and, and feel as well. And it, it will mean yeah. something completely personal uh, to you that, mm. that no one will ever really understand. Um, and yet, at the same time, we both connect to those pieces of music. You know, I, I, you don't know what my associations are and I don't know what yours are, but there's a raw power. And isn't that incredible that, you know, someone sitting in, what, what we, about like 100 years ago in America wrote this piece of music and I can just play a couple of notes on the piano and you have an emotional response. I mean, it's, that's an awesome, magical power. You know, people often ask me, um, you know, in, in you know, two-minute radio interviews when I'm promoting. They'll say, so what is the power of music? Uh, where do I even start? I've no idea. I don't know what it is. I don't know why it is that somebody can encode a bit of their soul in... Uh, it's like Harry Potter, isn't it? Splitting, you know, Voldemort splitting themselves. It's, it's like you're shaving off a bit of their soul and putting it into this music, and we can, we can feel it 200, 300 years later. I mean, it's... It's absolutely magical. And I kind of just don't want to know why that is. It's, I, I don't think we'll ever quite be able to reduce it to a pithy sentence I, I, other than saying it's mystical or it's magical. Or, um, I, I think it's, it's, a, it's a beautiful thing. And it, it, it doesn't matter how clever we get as a species and how wonderful our technology is, I feel like we're always going to need that. Like that is something that is for us. It's a gift for us as a species that we've needed since we were like cave people uh, and we will need in uh, 2000 years we're still going to need culture it will move on and it will it will change shape and color and texture but it will still be the experience of uh, communicating through voice and through and through instruments well you think about it the two pieces of music you've just turned to to play are hundreds of years old so that proves your point entirely doesn't it yeah, yeah. Love yeah, that. it does, and it's. I, I love. I mean, I, I, you know, I. It's. I'm obsessed. I'm obsessed with music, and I don't think that, you know, you can write a. You could write a piece today, or you can look at a piece that's 300 years old, and I just don't think it matter where it, where, it, where it comes from. If you have a little hook into it, and you can understand what it's about, and if it has an emotional effect on you, then it's good in my book. If you're looking for plump lips that last, you need to know about Juvederm Lip Fillers. 
With Juvederm Volbella XC and Juvederm Ultra XC, your lip look, whether it's subtle or bold, can last up to one full year with optimal treatment and no additional maintenance. Find a licensed specialist and see if it's right for you at Juvederm.com today. That's J-U-V-E-D-E-R-M.com. Add fullness to lips in adults over 21 with Juvederm Volbella XC or Juvederm Ultra XC. Do not use if you have severe allergies or a history of severe allergic reactions, or if you you're allergic to lidocaine or the proteins used in Juvederm. Tell your doctor if you have a history of scarring or taking medicines that decrease the body's immune response or that can prolong bleeding. Common side effects include injection site redness, swelling, pain, tenderness, firmness, lumps, bumps, bruising, discoloration, or itching. As with all fillers, there's a rare risk of unintentional injection into a blood vessel, which can cause vision abnormalities, blindness, stroke, temporary scabs, or scarring. For full, important safety information, visit Juvederm.com. Ready to pop the question? The jewelers at BlueNile.com have got sparkle down to a science with beautiful lab-grown diamonds worthy of your most brilliant moments. Their lab-grown diamonds are independently graded and guaranteed identical to natural diamonds, and they're ready to ship to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. Many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose, no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out. My solution is Plush Care. Plush Care is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. Sadly, we have to leave music for now to jump into my next question, because I have okay, to release you, because you have a show to open tomorrow night. I do, I do, yeah. So here we go, question number two. Life is so often what happens when you're busy making plans elsewhere. And I think that was certainly true for you when you're in your early 20s, kind of lacking direction in terms of where to go next. When a family friend called to encourage you to apply for a job they'd seen for a youth worker, um, specifically a youth worker who would introduce classical music to disadvantaged kids. And it was kind of never where you planned to be, but ultimately it led you to your dream career. It got you to where you wanted to be, but there was a severe detour. When else have you had to reroute in life to get to ultimately where you needed to be? I mean, I think my career has been a series of uh, of wandering paths, um, and I've just always followed my followed my nose through them. You know, I think when a when a crossroads comes or a fork in the road, you have to pick one. And I've never been afraid of making those decisions and just running with it. I think that. When I finished studying, so after that, I then decided I was going to go and study uh, classical singing at the Royal Academy of Music and, and probably thinking about being a proper classical, grown-up classical singer, um, but yeah. not really sure. And then when I finished the two years, I thought, I'm not sure that's quite right for me. You know, There were other people who were doing it who I felt like, oh, yeah, you're definitely going to do that. Um, <clears throat> and then out of the sky dropped this um, this television series, uh, The Choir, and I had always I'd had an interest in television and I was thinking you know presenting and talking, broadcasting, and so I I kind of leapt at it, but it did take me away from music for w- w- weirdly because I was making a program about music, but actually in terms of like so for me, like solid musical content, you know, playing, time to practice, time to work with great musicians and all the rest of it. There wasn't very much of that. And I loved the the outward feeling of going, right, come on, kids, you know, Lewis and Imran and all these, these boys that I was working with and trying to get them in. I loved that. It was very much like flowing out of me into them trying to get their their interest. And I thought there's nothing going the other way. So I made a decision around 2010 when my daughter was born that I was going to start, I was going to turn the ship and start to do more music myself. So recording, doing albums and 
and and live music and it's it's taken me i'd say about it took about 12 to 13 years to really get to grips with that but isn't that good though in so many ways that it's something that was that hard fought yeah it's been it's like a burning ambition to be mm. to kind of find things that did all of it for me so the playing the presenting the the arranging, the writing, like all of it. And, I, and that's, I feel like very lucky that here I am, I'm about to be 48 this year. And to get to this point in my life and think, actually, there's not, uh, you know, there's not a month that goes by where I'm not doing one, uh, uh, doing all of the things that I really enjoy. Um, but that, yeah, that was, that was hard for. And I think you've got to, I think with music, it has to be like that. It has to be a kind of absolutely burning passion. You know, and when I was taken away, from it and focus so much on television and making you know what television's like it's really you know super absorbing really hard work you know out on the road stupid hours in hotel rooms with no instruments months on end all of that um i just was like getting really itchy feet all the time i just wanted to get back to a piano i wanted to do do something of my own um and i, I think any you ask any musician you know could you do something else and they will say no i absolutely couldn't i i couldn't i would go I I would go crazy if I didn't have music on a regular basis. I think I would just be, I would not be happy, put it that way. So it's like a family member to you. It's something you can't live without. Yeah, I mean, it's, uh, I, yeah, you know the song, uh, music was my first love and it will be my last. <laughs> We're doing a section from that in a medley on, on my tour at the end. And I was, I was playing the whole thing to my wife and, and we got to that bit and she went, yeah, that's you. <laughs> As if to say, you know, what about me? What am I, chopped liver? But it's not like that. It's a, it's not a kind of, it's not like a love relationship. It's just a, it's a passion. It's an interest. And it, and it, in heart, for me, like music just enhances everything else. You put music on, you know, sat at breakfast and put the radio on and suddenly like life means something. It just adds. It elevates colour it does like putting the lights on in a darkened room it just it's mm. wonderful never get bored of it your wife um, she, I mean it's, it's funny that she um, kind of rolls her eyes in those moments but um, it sounds like you're never ever in danger of not keeping your feet on the ground with her around or or her mother in fact your mother-in-law's referred to you as a young fogey and your wife described um, her decision to start dating you as like taking him on as a project <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that sounds right. Did I say? Did she say that? Yeah, she probably did. Yeah, I uh, I think that's probably accurate. Young fogey is right. It's funny how I, I think this is where other people's associations with with music forms start to come in because I think if you when you when you are a musician, all I care about is the music. I'm not. I don't care about the marketing of it. I don't care that uh, you know. Oh, he looked really cool on the sleeve. Like just not interested absolutely pay i pay no attention to that um but i think other people really do especially if they're not a musician so if i'm listening to bach well then i must somehow be like interested in things that are 300 years old or you know i uh, whereas for and me i see that in music yeah and therefore a fogey was actually to me all of that music is incredibly alive and it's like fresh and exciting as as fresh and exciting as, as taylor swift might be to somebody else so um, yeah, that, I suppose that's where the fogey comes from. I, I am interested in, you know, I do. Yeah, I'm not quite ready for pipe and slippers, but I do like old things. In terms of your uh, your relationship with your wife, how, how did you two come to be? And is it something that you had to kind of go around the houses to, to get to? No, it, it was another. I mean, I've been very lucky. I just met her one night and was like, oh, well, that's that. Off we go. <laughs> I mean, it was really like real kind of just instant, really. So, no, I didn't have to, you know, there wasn't some great kind of, I don't know, uh, decision to be made there. It was just sort of really obvious. Um, uh, I suppose there were like there were things that I was, you know, I checked that she could sing. Um, that was obviously she, really was important. important. Yeah. yeah. I mean, can you imagine if you're musical and <laughs> being married to someone? You know, people say, oh, my husband, terrible singer. And I say, oh, I, I couldn't. I just, I don't know what I'd do. Um, no, she sings really well. It's very in tune. And is that, is that like one of your rules of dating? If there, if there were a Gareth Malone rules of dating, it would, 
a love for music, a love for of culture and an interest in, you know, a wide ranging, non-judgmental interest in culture, I think was really important. If she'd been one of those people who I'd said, oh, I like, you know, who are, you are, say, what kind of music are you into? And you list one person they, and they go, oh, I don't like them. If they, if it, if she'd been like that, then it would have been a no. But but she's not. She's very open minded about about music and I mean the poor the poor woman. I took her to all sorts of uh, classical concerts, it, and you know we were in our twenties and I was like experimenting with all sorts of things and took her to some very long operas and she had to endure all of that. A very, I remember one very very loud performance where the like the trumpets were blaring and we were right near the front. She was just sort of. Seeing they're subtly trying to put her fingers in her ears without the orchestra singing. <laughs> she must really love you, Gareth. Yeah, she's she's definitely yeah. She did that for me. Not not doesn't do that anymore. <laughs> yeah, well, you know, that's 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 the the charm of a long term relationship, right? Exactly. Uh, yeah. Time for my third and final question for you. Fate, lady luck, right time, right place, call it what you like. Um, your entry into the world of television came about as the result of, of a simple Google search, right? Mm. If that algorithm had not spurted back your name when the BBC entered their search credentials for a choir master, who knows what might have happened? So is that, I mean, obviously that is a significant sliding doors moment, but when else has... Has that been the case for you where fate has intervened and taken you somewhere that you hadn't planned to be? That's a good question. Um, oh, can you hear the cogs? The cogs are whirring. Yeah. Uh, I think, I, I mean, a big. I suppose a big change in my life was that my parents moved to Bournemouth when I was 10. Um, and we were in South London. I was very much like considered myself to be a London kid, um, and with every you know like city, a city dweller, and that has a kind of energy about it, a different energy from yeah. a, a country, a country mouse. And I suddenly found myself. I remember being in Sainsbury's when I was about ten in Bournemouth, at the Hampshire Centre. If, if anyone remembers that place, it's no longer with us. Uh, and the, the shop assistant said. How hello, hello, how are you? And um, my mother and I looked at each other like, what, what's she doing? <laughs> Why is she speaking to us? This is very odd. And this, the whole, that whole change of pace of life from the frantic and slightly edgy experience of growing up in London to the beach, the forest, and also music. There were so many choirs. Um, my The school that I went to had this incredible choir director, uh, Stephen Carlson, who's my music teacher. And had it not been for for that, I mean, actually, the biggest the biggest change was that it was a it was a grammar school that I went to, and um, I I came from outside the system. All the kids in that local area were kind of like crammed to get them into the into the grammar school. You know, they all did the like eleven plus very diligently, and I. Uh, I hadn't really done any of that preparation. I did a bit, but not not very much. And I so I think I probably just scraped through. Um, and had that not happened, and had I not had that music teacher, I don't know if music would be so important. But he gave me the mm. chance to see music in a very fluid way. He played jazz. He played. He, he would. You know, kids would bring in their pop records or uh, to pow. I remember the, my mate bringing in China he just bought to power China in your hand great really really <sighs> beautiful song and and he yeah. put it on and uh, in the class and we all listened to it and he said oh you know what's interesting about this and he found some little lesson that he was able to give to the class based on that he was a very kind of improvisatory teacher um, and then you know then I would be playing in the band and I'd be doing this and uh, and then singing in the choir, obviously, uh, and all under his tutelage. And I think that has ca- that way of thinking about music has carried me through. That there's that we don't need to see there's enough barriers and divisions in the world without you know without letting music be something that adds to that. Just be something that you can enjoy no matter what the as long as it's good. That's Duke Ellington, isn't it? 
there are two types of music, good music and bad music. And I, I really you, do feel that. I, lo- I, don't, I don't care what it, you know, I, it can be from Guatemala and in a language I've never heard of. And if it's got a kind of energy and in something interesting about it, then I will listen to it. Yeah, it's, and it's good sometimes to keep jumping around on the stuff that you do put on your playlists. I started, what did I what downloaded the other day? Lady Smith, Black Mum. Mombasso, yeah. Mombasso, yeah. And I, I heard it somewhere and I thought, God, yeah, I love them. And actually, downloaded loads of their music, put them on multiple playlists, so it just kind of comes up and shuffles. But God, it's gorgeous. Yeah, I mean the the the, the, the raw power of their singing is so fabulous, uh, and mm. and they were, I think I'm right in saying the 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 musicians who worked with Paul Simon on Graceland, which is one of my all time right. favorite. So that's albums. how they came. Gateways. Yeah, that's the get the yeah, gateway for the gateway. all of us with, with that with that that, that music. Um, and I, I, I was, I grew up listening to that album. Loved that sound world, that kind of very kind of spiritual, but quite raw, edgy way of singing that they have. Um, and then a few years ago, I worked with a musician uh, who's passed away, a uh, trumpeter, sort of from South Africa, uh, called um, uh, Hugh Masakela, um, w- when I was at LSO, and that that was a, an incredible experience of working with one of those sort of like founding fathers of. Like music that was anti-apartheid, um, and he he was amazing. He just had the he was somebody who could who sat, you know appreciated that sound, understood that world, and watching him like the way he moved, the way he danced, the way his his sort of rhythmic language was so instinctual and so South African, and I just, I I that was a real eye opener for me, and, and just into you know coming from a kind of quite potentially quite staid choral you know british sensibility to to encounter musicians like that and he brought over his team of 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 south african musicians and they were just like it was just like music just was oozing out of them and there was an effortlessness about that and a, a confidence and a freedom that was just so enchanting um and i, I yeah i took a i took a lot I took a lot from that experience because, you know, g- groups like that, they're not just, you know, uh, like Lady Smith, Blackman Bazo and, and Hugh Masakela, they're not just making music because they like making music. There's a political dimension to it. There's a there's a reason, there's a passion, there's a, a struggle in the music. And, I, I, you know, I think that's why we all go, you know, we know the story, so that helps. But we also just like, even if we don't know the story, we can hear the like heartfelt resonance of it. I think that's a, that's something that I always try to emulate with, with all my projects. You know, when I come, you know, when I come to work with military wives, for example, you know, it's kind of going, well, what is it about you and your struggle? And, uh, and, and how do we turn that into a, into a sound? How do we make you sing like that how do we make you find that heart and that connection the, that the guts to make that sound that's really interesting because that's of that's you drilling into their emotional beds isn't it what what is it yeah that comes first keeping you me. awake at night what is it that makes you yeah extremely emotional and let's let's narrate that i think that's how that is the way all artists work you know then they're, they're they're trying to hook into like the subconscious world you know what's Mm. making me what is this melting pot of emotion that i've got and how do i get that across to you through music and and i think you know if you are someone like military wise for example who felt that they had no voice and they weren't being heard it's it's beyond just standing up and doing a speech it's about kind of them feeling like this is the way that I can pour my heart out, and and people will understand me. And um and that and you know and we we proved it. It definitely works because people was. I remember uh, Chris Evans reading out a tweet when I was on on air with him, and uh, somebody saying I've had to pull over at the side of the road listening to these these women sing because it's just it's just making me cry so much. Um, oh. because we we understood their plight and we and they had this sort of rather celestial. We found we found this way of singing that um just it it touched people i think when you say when you talk about choirs right what we grew up with as choirs was was very middle england i guess yeah but then when did you start to dip your toe into other kinds of choirs for example church i mean when you look at 
Pentecostal churches. That is not a choir that I knew, but that was a choir I would love to have been a part of because that was that wasn't right. just singing, that was singing. Yeah, I mean I don't think I I encountered the sound of uh the gospel church uh through like Michael Jackson, Andre Crouch, that uh, you know man in the mirror. That I think that was my first introduction to that sound world. Um and I so I, I associated it actually not with with gospel but with pop in a way. Um and it's only sort of recently that I've I've been a judge on um uh, uh like gospel choir of the year and things like that on TV and that, that it's just so exciting that because they they have everything they have all of that they have the passion the commitment they're not doing it for the audience they're doing it for god and it has that just absolute spine tingling quality and you know some of the tunes are absolutely great and it's rhythmical and it's yeah it's one absolutely wonderful and you're right you're right when i was a kid the idea of choir it was certainly within my culture was you know, it was some little old lady singing in the in the church, and it would you know, and and, and there'd be like forty of them, and there'd be two two men, <laughs> um, and it was not a thing that teenage boys went and did. Um, and I I was very lucky that I just somebody asked me to do it, and my music teacher said, oh, you should go and do that, and I just sort of fell in love with the music, and um, and I think it's only really in the last sort of thirty years that the idea of community choirs of choirs that are for a different purpose. They're not just for singing Handel and Haydn and Mozart, but you can sing an Adele song. You can do, you know, you don't need to be brilliant. You you don't need to be auditioned. You can you know, just enjoy the social experience of it. Those sorts of choirs have really come to the fore, workplace choirs. And, I yeah, and my, I think I've been a big part in, in bringing that to pe- people's attention, which I, I'm really pleased about. And I wish I'd there'd been someone who'd shown me that potential when I was, you know, 13 or 14. Well, let me tell you, your work lives on even when you step away from a, a choir. They continue without you. Last week I hosted an award show. Uh, it's one I've done for the last three years and every year the same choir come back. They're called the City Choir. They work for Citibank. And yeah. I don't know how many years ago you put them together, but they are Ten. still going strong. Ten. Yeah, I just went to their anniversary concert the other other. Week and it was amazing to see you know some of the same faces in in those series ten years later, but they have learned so much and they you know they all they that night I went to the anniversary concert and they were saying to me, what's been amazing actually is that uh, I me and this singer next to me are now best friends and we have been and we would never have met had we not been in the choir yeah. and that's really that's really special because it's yeah. they needed the music to kind of like oil the wheels of friendship Mm -hmm. and now it adds so much you know why am I going to choir well I'm going to sing but also I'm going to go and see my friend and and then we're going to sing this great music and we're going to have a laugh and it's going to go wrong and it's going to and then we're going to do a concert we're going to be backstage and have a glass of wine afterwards all of that that's the stuff that makes it so special and that's the stuff that you've sparked you are England's choir master and um, if people want to come along and experience it for themselves, the tour opens on tomorrow, 2nd of November. You're touring all over the UK. And this isn't just a sit up and watch show. This is a come along and get involved show. You sing okay. along with you and as well as creating a show, uh, a moment out of AI um, that could be about even roundabouts or local landmarks. It's an opportunity for you just to go and raise your voice, isn't it? It is. We've got everything from Elton John to Lady Gaga, uh, the Beatles, Tina Turner, all sorts of all sorts of bangers. Harry Styles. Um, t- yeah, it's, which, it's a which really Harry fun Styles show. Are you doing? Um, we're doing uh, "Holding Me Back." Gravity's holding me back, as it was. As it was. What a great record! It's a really good record. Yeah. Enjoy the tour. Thank you for making the time in an incredibly busy schedule. It's hugely appreciated. And my mum and dad will see you in Cheltenham on the 8th of December in fine voice. Tell them to wave vigorously. (laughs) Ah, my huge thanks to Gareth. Um, I do hope that that's encouraged you to go and raise your voice with him on his tour. 
And for more conversations with other great musical types, our back catalogue is heaving with episodes with the likes of Gary Barlow, Jack Severetti, Tom Grennan, Ray, Ella Henderson, Matt Goss, Luke Evans, Michael Ball and Alfie Bowes, Charlene Spiteri, Alan Jones, Danny Minogue, Travis... I've run out of breath, but not out of guests. I'll be back on your feeds on Tuesday with more vintage cuts from the cellar and a brand new guest next Friday. Thanks so much, as always, for your company. White Wine Question Time is a Stack production and part of the Acast Creator Network. 